Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. Greetings, cartoon connoisseurs, and welcome to the Animation Conversation, where we explore the art form from pencils to pixels. And now, here are your hosts, Rusty Shackleford and F. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Animation Conversation. Uh, I'm Rusty here with... Hey, everybody. It's your old pal out. What's up, party people? There you go. Well, F, we have a... Uh, we have a... Really cool guest today. I was kind of I've been excited about this all week actually because it's my guest. I'm the one that acquired yeah, this guest. Yeah. I uh, yeah. I didn't have to have industry credentials to to acquire a guest. Uh, uh, kind of like F. I didn't have to have industry credentials to somehow con you into doing a show with me. So here we are. Uh, our guest Pinky. Hi Pinky. How are you doing Yay. today? Hey, how's it going, guys? Oh, awesome. Uh, we're happy to have you. I appreciate you taking uh, taking the time out of your uh, busy horse schedule to come hang out with us for for a few minutes. I've seen your uh, your TikTok page and stuff like that with some of your your horse stuff on it. I think that's really cool. I like. Uh, I'm from Texas, so that that Southern Colorado feel is almost like that. You know, Texas kind of feel too. It's kind of got the same kind of uh, kind of kind of cultural feel to it with the ranches and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and um, I've I've seen your storyboards, and uh, oh my goodness, um, I I'm I'm almost I'm almost sad to have you on the show because you're you're crazy crazy talented. Um, oh, thank you. Um, it, it's yeah, no, your your boards in particular, you know, you you seem to have gotten to do a lot of um, the the stuff that that I love to do, which is acting and posing and stuff like yeah. that. Uh, and and if you guys uh, haven't seen Pinky's work, my goodness, uh, go to the page because um, if if you are aspiring to be a board artist and want to learn acting and posing and stuff like that, uh, look at Pinky's work because oh. it's absolutely uh, stunning. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so uh, how did you like? So how did you kind of uh, maybe not go? maybe let's not get too too quick so let's go even let's go way way back let's say uh when did like drawing and wanting to be an animator when did that kind of like come to fruition for you when did you come to the realization like this is what i'm gonna do regardless of whatever it takes to do it kind of thing well i think that i got a lot of my coworkers and friends in animation i realized they're a little bit more introverted than I am. And I find that interesting because I think like they kind of like close themselves off and draw. And I say like, I didn't really have as much of a choice. I was a military kid. Um, I also like partially grew up on a ranch. So I didn't really have like, I guess like the close friend connections every three years I'd start over. And if I wasn't starting over, I'd live on my family's ranch where I didn't have like high-speed internet or all the video games that a lot of uh, kids my age would have. Like I hear people saying, um, 
oh, millennials, they don't know what it was like to suffer through this like DSL <laughs> internet or like um, dial up internet. And I'm like, well, I did because I was kind of like stuck behind like everyone else having a little bit of a rural childhood. So I was always drawing. I drew a lot of the horses on our ranch. I drew comics about our dog being a superhero. It was just entertainment for me when a lot of people my age, I guess their entertainment was more glued to a TV. And when I had access to the TV, I was glued to it and I watched like early 90s Nickelodeon. Um, so I grew up drawing. My mom was actually an art teacher and I didn't want to do what she did because that was what mom did and that's not cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so and she was always trying to encourage me to um to draw more and encouraging me she was super supportive because she was an artist herself but i actually didn't want to do that when i was a kid i wanted to grow up and be a horse trainer and i do like both now but i didn't discover like animation as a job i knew it as an entertainment thing i always drew comics but i didn't discover it as a job until maybe like i'd say like really late in the game like i was like 19 and i saw storyboards presented at comic-con i didn't even know storyboards were a thing i didn't know the process i was aware of like the nine old men sitting in front of the huge desk and animating and that's what i thought the job was i thought you just sat down and i didn't even really think about a script or anything i just thought they just made the cartoon and then they put it on tv now now see and i don't want to interrupt because i want to hear every bit of your story but that's exactly that was exactly my experience it was 100 percent the same thing I didn't. I didn't go, grow up with horses, but I grew up on what was ostensibly, you know, a Walden style. You know, my parents had this idea of us being self-sufficient, so it was it was our own little yeah. farm in in rural Kalamazoo, Michigan, and 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 so you know, watching cartoons and stuff. That's that is exactly what I thought. I'm like, oh, I love cartoons, but that looks really tedious. And so <laughs> yeah. I I did the exact same thing you did. I think it's almost a requirement as as a young budding cartoonist to do a comic strip about your pet as a superhero. But anyway, <laughs> I, did, I had I had to bump in because I I feel like I don't know that many people who had such a similar experience as that. But the the ones that I have met are exactly the same. It's like yeah, I didn't want to get into animation. It looked completely tedious. Um, yeah. But then got exposed to storyboards. So please continue. No, I like it's interesting. I haven't really met any other people that had that experience too. I know a lot of people that were like sitting in front of the TV and drawing frame by frame. And I was never that kid. I never drew frame by frame until I thought, I really need to study and learn what this is. I really want to get into animation. And that's when I was like fresh out of high school. I started to go to community college for graphic design because there was no animation schools. I was in uh, Southern Virginia at the time. And I didn't have access to that. And I also didn't have the funds to go to animation school either. So at the time, I thought I'm going to go into graphic design and then whatever classes I can would transfer to an animation degree. And then I would just take out a loan. Luckily, I was hired before right. I got to that point. But that's when I was doing like I had my laptop and I'd pause frame by frame. But I was never the kid that was pausing the VHS tape and studying it. I, I was not a driven, motivated kid to like study animation like a lot of my peers I've met. I just drew whatever I felt like. And it was that. It was mostly comics about. I had one comic about wild horses. And it was pretty much like almost like a television dramedy where all of the horses had like interconnected relationships and they were breaking up and getting together. And 
fighting each other and like fighting rival horse clans. And then I had one with like my family dog that was a superhero. And it was really an original idea because it was called Super Puppy, which I'm sure no one would ever think of that. I'm sure everyone had a comic, had a Super Puppy comic. Now, see that that raises that raises an interesting an interesting point and one that I I like to beat home uh, as often as I possibly can. So please back me up, because um, if you disagree, I'm going to be really embarrassed. No, but um, <laughs> one one of the things when I got roped into it was um, that storyboarding is really not so much about drawing at all. It's about storytelling, and you seem to have. Uh, been telling stories from the very beginning yeah but it's I I have like different feelings about storyboarding because I got into it because I liked the drawing aspect of it I thought it looked really fun and loose and exciting and when I didn't really realize what it actually was until I was in it I've always loved sequential art I liked the storytelling aspects of it but I was more drawn into like how animated you could get with it and how much like I was more into the posing and when I was in it I realized oh there's so much more to this there's like there's uh, you're telling a story with the camera you're telling a story with even just props and elements in the background there's so much more than just having fun bouncy animated characters which is what I had got into it because I thought that was a interesting how much I guess how much control you could have with the posing and then when I was in it I, I, it was kind of a shell shock because I started uh, storyboarding on TV I wasn't doing it in college I was self-taught and then I was just immediately hired and thrown into television when I was like 21 22 so I was learning as I went and uh, it was surprising as I came along, but then I fell in love with it in a different way because I initially thought I wanted to do character design and I learned the hard lesson of character design is not the uh, fun, like you're creating a character every time. It's a lot of tedious nonsense. When I was in boarding, I, I was like, you know, this isn't what I expected it to be, but I enjoyed it more. And I think now I enjoy aspects of boarding that I didn't when I first started. Yeah, it's that, it's that whole, you get a taste of blood. You know, like, yeah, because you really are as a as a storyboard artist, you are the one contr literally controlling what the viewer sees, thinks, feels. And you mentioned backgrounds. It's it's 100 percent true. Like, you know, you can put a, a flower pot with a pretty flower in the background and, and there's a subtle little thing that that'll make your viewer feel, oh, there's a you know, this this is a safe environment or. You know, you can put sinister looking. It's it's literally you are in control of the of the viewer, and that was one of the one of the first things that I that I found intoxicating was this idea of like, ooh, I can just fuck with people this way, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, so so for me, from like an audience perspective, like uh, so what so going over the last six episodes that we've recorded now, F, like I've really grown. Uh, like a, a, a special understanding for storyboarding, I guess, that I didn't have before. I really didn't appreciate it in the, in the way that I do now. And it's, it's, uh, I feel like you, you have to have a good storyboard artist for everything to piece together. Like you could have people that are, you know, lacking in areas and other parts, but the storyboard artist guy has to be like the sharpest tool in the shed. He has to be, have the head on the swivel and kind of stuff. And I don't know. I, I really, uh, uh, 
I really wish that I would have done some drawing stuff now. Maybe I could have been a storyboard artist, but probably not because I can't draw. But uh, yeah, so so from 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 the audience perspective, yeah, you know, it's uh, every time I talk to somebody new, it's just like, wow, that's. Uh, you know, it's like a new perspective kind of thing. So you put a different perspective on it than, than F puts on it kind of thing about how, how you treat storyboarding, what storyboarding is for you. So I don't know, that's what, uh, I guess that's what this animation conversation stuff's all about. Well, I, and I'm tell you, you don't want to storyboard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't. No, I don't. You're right. You're right. <laughs> Absolutely right. You talk to, if you talk to any board artist, one of, one of the first expressions you'll see on their face is pain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what all projects have you uh, have you worked on? I have your IMDb up, but uh, I'd rather I'll just let you 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 tell like your favorite stuff you worked on and stuff like that uh, throughout your years with uh, Nickelodeon. So I was hired when I was like twenty one or twenty two. I'm twenty seven now, and I had been on every SpongeBob like anything in production spinoffs films from that point till now and now i'm working on something new that i can't really talk about in public but uh it's funny people would think that my favorite to work on out of everything in the spongebob universe would be spongebob the proper show because that's mm -hmm. what i grew up with and that was my dream to work on that show but it's actually not i loved working on camp coral which is the spin-off of spongebob mm -hmm. from when they were all kids in summer camp and it's a cg show which is also surprising to me that as a 2d artist that i would love working on the cg show but what i loved about it was spongebob is something i grew up with and it's been around for 20 something years and their world is so fleshed out and developed and you have to follow all the rules of everything going on but when we were handed camp coral as a project we got to take that property but we didn't know what it looked like when they were in summer camp and we didn't know what it was like when they were 10 11 years old and i got to design brand new characters that we fell in love with which is something that you wouldn't really introduce to spongebob maybe for like a one-off episode you'll have a new completely new design of a character but we were creating friendships and new characters with ones that I had already loved and grew up with as a kid so it was almost like I got a chance to create Spongebob even though it really wasn't my time mm -hmm. I, I was a very small child in the 90s I got to dip my hands in stuff that I already loved but introduce my own voice to it and I felt that was really special. We also had a lot more freedom with some of the jokes and some of the concepts because on Spongebob we had a question of like well we've done that before and even if we bring them to a different location all the locations are established. I mean we have uh, all of these, you, I call them sets, but all of these places that have existed for like 20 years but on camp coral we're like well what would it look like if they were here well we have to make a whole new set for it and it was also cool to see that translated into cg where you're like i drew this and it's like a real thing like a physical thing even yeah. though it doesn't i guess exist in physical space as we are you get to see something that you create and you're like this is a 3d building and you can like put a camera in and walk inside it was, just, it was a whole different, really fun experience, and the crew was awesome. I had a great time working on it. I know it's not everyone's favorite property of the SpongeBob universe, and everybody prefers the yeah. main show. But yeah, well, from like a... I, I finally look back on my time on it. 
Yeah, so from like an audience perspective again, because that's my that's the only purpose. I'm, I'm that's the only reason I'm here. Uh, otherwise, it would just be F talking <laughs> to you by yourself. So uh, just be talking shop. Yeah, yeah, just talking shop, and I love it. So like, I really don't care if I get to talk for a whole episode, like the Robert and Zeddy episode. I don't think left uh, F, F let me get a word in edgewise, but I don't care. <laughs> it's just beautiful to get to be a part of this stuff, being from uh, a little town in Texas, and uh, like I said, I've only been doing this like two years, so it's crazy to me. But back to Camp Coral real quick. So for me, what I liked about Camp Coral was the fact that it was uh, like CG or whatever, and it was like super unique. It, It didn't look like every other CGI thing like you guys whatever you did you put like this 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 softened this soft spin on it and it just looks I don't know I just really really uh I, I, I was looking through it last night and I was actually watching some of it because I'd never uh you know I'm I'm a little older for Camp Coral now so it was just something yep. that missed me in the in in the wave of things but I got kids so it was you know I put it on you know I'm watching it with the kids and stuff and uh I don't know I loved it I really liked it so anybody that doesn't like it uh, just doesn't appreciate good art I don't think, but I really, really, well, glad, uh, and I, I really enjoyed I it. I think it's like hit or miss with spinoffs where you have people attached to a property. Yeah. So it's, it's mm. hard to get people on board with something brand new, but they worked really hard to get that, to, the CG on that show. We really wanted to match the level of animation we had on the 2D shows, which is extremely stretchy, extremely cartoony, very expressive. And um, the, Team Technicolor in India worked really hard to match everything where there were so many like conversations back and forth with our studio and our team and people staying up late to talk to people in India to try to make everything happen. There was a lot of blood, sweat and tears to make it that because, you know, with CG, it's it's almost like posing a doll. It's almost like animating, like, cause it's something that exists. So you're like posing a toy. And in order to get some of the poses and match our storyboards there, the models had to be, I guess, broken so many times and recreated. And there was this one sequence and I have it somewhere on uh, my Google drive where it was like their animation test for us. And they followed a SpongeBob episode that was 2D that already existed, that was already on the air. And they had to animate that in CG. And I, I can't speak for the process because I'm not a CG animator, but they pretty much had to make like a whole new SpongeBob for all of these different crazy poses that he was doing. Because you just can't do that with just a standard model. It's, it's basically just like a toy. And there's so much stretching and bending you can do. But yeah. when you're doing these big, broad, crazy poses, they have to make like a whole new... Uh, Almost yeah, like yeah, characters. yeah. I know a little bit about video game development and stuff like that, and it's kind of, I guess, similar in the same way where you have like this 3D soft body that you control and move around and stuff like that. And from like my experience with like the video game side of it, and like, trying to compare it a little bit, uh, like you're saying, you have all these. Well, on the you know on a video game, you have all these nodes and stuff as you're moving whatever yeah. your your character and stuff like that. And and like you said, if you have all these exaggerated things, your nodes only do so much. So you have yeah. to create a whole new like weird shifted you know creation like you're talking about like character yeah they have to be kind of shifted weird to be able to reach that next limit to do that you know outlandish stretch or whatever it is you're talking about yeah that's pretty cool yeah i well, just it's, it's, i can't i can't believe we're able to do that on a tv budget i i still can't believe what we were able to pull off i mean if you look back at like like jimmy neutron that was a huge, huge thing to introduce to TV, that's a CG show. And that pipeline was insane. And yeah. from what I've heard that they uh, 
broke a lot of render farms or had a lot of like crashes on their computer systems trying to make that in the early 2000s and we have the technology in the render farms now but what's insane to me is what we're able to do on a budget because it's comparable to like cg movies yeah it's beautiful i love it like like i said it's uh i think it's unique like i said in cg uh stuff and i've been watching cg since the inception of cg on tv reboot and beast wars transformers are two of my favorite cartoons and they're like the first two you know late 90s tv shows that that were cg out of canada it was a canadian company that made them and uh so just to see the evolution from from those first cg shows to to what they are now it's just phenomenal especially like camp coral and, and like how beautiful it like you said it is just I, I was really taken back by some of the scenes and stuff in it and i'm like this is a tv show are you sure yeah. this isn't like a like you know movie production like is this going into the movies kind of thing you know so it was just i don't know i love it what i think a lot of people um don't necessarily realize and and why would you is when when it comes to hand drawn versus CG, um, the the thing about CG is when you're when you're doing CGI, suddenly you can move the camera anywhere, and you can do yes. crazy stuff with the camera that when you do it hand drawn becomes very labor intensive. Whereas if you're doing lots of character stuff, lots of big character poses, like much easier in hand to make that translate into CGI. It's, it's like Pinky said, you're, you're, you're dealing with a puppet and if you're, or, or a toy or whatever, and you can make that toy stretchy and squashy and all this stuff, but eventually you're going to le- reach that limit. Whereas mm-hmm. if you're drawing it, there's absolutely no limit. So, you know, whenever, and I'm, I'm saying this really, you know, for the benefit of the people uh, who aren't in animation. If you're if you're watching something and you see lots and lots of crazy camera movements, that's always easier in CGI. In CGI, just moving the camera in any crazy fashion you want is a thousand times easier in CGI than it is in hand-drawn animation. And I feel like that's where a lot of shows wind up shooting themselves in the foot by, you know, going, okay, is, is this show going to be more about character animation or is this show going to be more about the action? And if the show's about the action, then you want to do it in CGI so that you can move the cr- camera in all kinds of crazy ways. But I'm I'm also gonna uh, I'm gonna hop on the bandwagon too and say that in terms of the way it looks, Camp Coral is is a really neat looking show. And man, if I were like eight years old or whatever, that it, it is the fact that they look like little toys that would just yeah. I've gone bonkers for it. That's what I like yeah, about it. it. Yeah, it's beautiful. Like, I mean, they, they look like little, you know, something you would see out of a, you would open out of a package and play with and set up and, you know, put in a little SpongeBob pineapple thing. And, you know, it's just, I don't know, this is beautiful. It's some of the most beautiful yeah, we did that CG. so bad on the show. We wanted toys. Um, it's a shame that it came about in the, like, decline of toy era where everything is, like, either apps and the only toys you really see are, like, the blind bag things or, like, little stem toys like slime and stuff. So we're kind of like exiting that era that we grew up with where everything was like a play set and everything's like an action figure. That's not really the thing anymore. And we were so disappointed because we all wanted that too. We wanted, uh, I think, I feel like sometimes people our age are more into toys than actual children, especially those of us who work (laughs) in animation. We all had like our cubicles up with all kinds of like animated TV show toys. We're all desperate. We wanted Camp Coral toys and we had someone on the team um 3d printed uh 
some of our models from the show and that was a nice. big bloodbath to fight over on our uh, white <laughs> Christmas party. <laughs> Now, speaking of speaking of growing up, I want to backtrack a little bit because you you had mentioned that you broke into the industry at 19, which just blows blows my mind because I was your age when I broke into the industry. So, you know, tell us how that happened at age 19 that you came to, you know, start working on such a prestigious like legacy show right out of the gate. Well, I was, I, I said earlier, I was in community college, and that's when I was really trying to hone in my skills. I had applied to some different uh, job listings for studios, but um, for those of us who work in it know that the, I don't really know anyone who's gotten a job off of a listing. Everybody's been recruitment, word of mouth already in the industry. So I don't really count that as like a rejection or a failure just yeah. because I'm pretty sure like I have a friend who works on uh, like more indie projects, not for a bigger studio. And he has people apply to his indie animation show. And um, they were going through all the applications and there were like 10,000 just for his smaller production. And I can't imagine what a studio gets. I I mean, if you guys get a chance to talk to a recruiter and have a recruiter on your show, that might be really interesting to hear their opinion of like how you go through that. Because I can't imagine how many people, like when I was applying to a Cartoon Network position, I can't imagine like you get every Yahoo on the internet who's drawn a stick figure before. And then you <laughs> get people like, actually experienced applying to it and some people are great and they don't have a good portfolio so you're just sorting through just trying to find a needle in a haystack and i don't really know anyone who's been hired that way so i was that's what where i was because at the time i was in virginia my dad got stationed there and then i i stayed there to finish high school and i was kind of stuck because i wasn't anywhere where there would be creative people i really wanted to go to scad which is in uh savannah georgia uh that was like the closest like big art school to me even though my dream school was sva my family did not have new york city money <laughs> but um i was really like people use the word grinding and it's a little bit embarrassing but i was really grinding hard i at the time i had quit my retail jobs and was just doing commissions and I would stream like six hours a day, six, seven hours. And anyone who came into my live stream, I would uh, offer a commission right on the spot. So you send me money on PayPal, I'll draw you something immediately, instant gratification, email it to you. And I get like regular customers, I get new people, frequent people in that would just pop in that had never seen someone draw live before. And they're like, I don't know, can you draw my dog? And I was just tossing things out. And that's yeah. how I at the I did the math and I made more doing that than my $7 and 25 cents an hour um, working retail. And that's when mm -hmm. I quit the jobs and I just focused on that. And it also gave me time to build my portfolio, which is something a lot of young artists don't get to do, don't have the time to do, especially when you're uh, in the struggle that I was where you are trying to just make money. And it's hard when you're like working those part-time or full-time like retail jobs or going to school to build that. And I was lucky by having that income from uh, that I had built from doing commissions on streaming that I could quit everything and just focus on my portfolio. And I worked really hard studying like classic Nickelodeon stuff. Uh, I really wanted to do like really cartoony comedy things. I at the time had a portfolio built for character design because I loved sequential art, but I didn't think I had the skill to storyboard. 
completely self-taught myself everything. And then I was reached out by a director on SpongeBob and he asked me to do character designs because that was what my portfolio was initially. And I wanted that job so bad that I sent him 120 designs for one character. (laughs) Like four to six for like options for a character. And I sent 120 and I'm sure this character appeared on screen for like three seconds total. But uh, he asked, because I, I also sent it over in Storyboard Pro just to prove that I had the program. And he asked, well, do you do storyboards? And I said, yeah. yes. Um, that was basically a lie because I, I mean, I was self-taught and I like piddled around with it. But you wouldn't call me a storyboard artist because I've ne- I had never produced anything. I had never made like a whole sequence of something. So I the most I did was watch tutorials which actually the guy who reached out to me to hire me, he was the one I learned from because he did tutorials with Toon Boom, um, with Storyboard Pro. And uh, when I sent that over to him and he said, do you do storyboards? I said, yes. And I learned, uh, I figured it out as I went. I moved to LA and started working in the studio and just, it, it wasn't easy because I didn't have the experience, but I taught myself as I went and it was one of those things that it's like a true fake it till you make it I yeah. said yes I need a storyboard and uh like many years later here I am and I do know how to storyboard and yeah, I'm yeah, confident yeah. in it but at the time it was just like sure that's I, awesome yes, I will because that was my only option I really wanted that job and that was the only way to get it yeah I love those uh, I love Again, those kind of stories because because F stands for fib because F has a similar story where <laughs> he was a big fibber and he got uh, he got got into the industry uh go ahead F I'm sorry I interrupted it, you no it's 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 really almost uncanny because I moved out to LA uh to become a character designer I figured that like I knew I, I knew about him as much about storyboarding as you probably did at the time but uh-huh. i i didn't think i could get a job in it in a million years but i figured oh character design that's something i can do and yeah. i applied on the, i applied for the wild thornberries as a character design i need storyboard artists can you storyboard uh to which i had the i had the exact same reaction that you did and i was like yeah you betcha storyboarding oh yes indeed and then the next thing i know I'm storyboarding, you know, zebra stampedes on the wild thornberries, which was no fun at all. But so <laughs> yeah, they literally, someone, someone on SpongeBob literally like saw your work online and reached out to you. That's that's that was the imp- wow. That's amazing to me. Yeah, it was um, Sherm Cohen, who's a director on SpongeBob, and some of his work, like I looked up to his work a lot right. when I was younger. He. Uh, was a storyboard director on the first SpongeBob movie. And you can see a lot of his style in that film if you're familiar with it. Like that's, I feel like just watching that first SpongeBob movie, there's so many poses and expressions and I'm like, oh, that's a classic Sherm drawing. And that's that's all just like animator nerd jargon. Uh, anyone who uh, doesn't look at it the same way that we do just appreciates like a good and funny film, which is absolutely fine. But as an animation nerd, I, uh, truly recognized his style language in that film and I since when I was at Nickelodeon I had learned that there were several other people in the studio who did have their eyes on me who were following me and liked my stuff and there were discussions within the studio that uh we should hire Pinky I really like Pinky's work um I realized there were a couple of people that um 
I ended up working with who recommended me. So it was more than one person. And that was really flattering that I found out when I got there that it wasn't just one person that stumbled across me. There were several people who had followed and liked my work. And we did that with several other people. Like once I was there, we would do the same thing where we'd be like, did you see this one guy on Instagram? His stuff's amazing. And we're all talking about it and sharing it. And then like a year later, that guy's my coworker. So I, I got to experience firsthand what happened to me. And that was really cool and magical to watch it happen to other very young artists get hired in. It's worth, it's worth noting though. And I, I, I want to point this out that, um, cause you know, lest anyone just go, Oh, Pinky just got discovered. You you got discovered because you were doing the work. Like yeah. you you as you called it, you were grinding out, you know, uh work uh hours and hours per day and putting yourself out there. Yeah, I was pouring through the social yeah. media stuff that you have and everything like all I, I, I probably went back to almost probably like 2018 just scrolling through and looking at all your artwork and stuff like that. Uh, as somebody who's done content creation, I've done content creation through Twitch and stuff like that for over a decade myself, like doing that kind of stuff and uh, just seeing the consistency that you have, because that's that's one thing people always ask. Well, how do I do this or how do I do that? That's one question I get with podcasting is like, well, how does your podcast get viewers and stuff? How do I get people to listen to mine? And it's consistent. Consistency is like the yep. major thing to being discovered by anything. If you want to be virally discovered, you have to be virally consistent. You have to be putting all your stuff out there. You have to like put your heart on your sleeve and bear all and like just put it all out yeah. there and hope somebody gets it or likes it kind of thing. Uh, and that I appreciate. I appreciate people like that. Uh, and I think that's why I get along with F so much because it's like it's it's that same mentality of no matter what it is, we're going to put it into the world, whether people like it or not. We're at that phase in our life where it's it's about our own happiness. Screw what everybody else thinks. It's time to put our stuff mm -hmm. out there and do what we want to do kind of thing. And uh, it's cool to see that in younger people, too. That's one thing I appreciate, like about like uh, a lot of the generation of people that are doing animation, stuff like that, that I see on F's page and that I see on your page, you know, younger teenagers and stuff. It's, it's beautiful to see that they're all out there just doing this consistent stuff. They're all putting their stuff out there every single day. And uh, I feel like uh, the, the, that that's being nurtured more than it was than when I was a kid. I don't remember kids wanting to draw and animate when I was in school. And now my son, he's in school and he's got friends that are like, there's like a lot of them that draw in there and it's a cool, it's a cool thing. Whereas when I was a kid, it was like the kids yeah. that were drawing were like the manga kids and the, the, the anime kids. And they sat at the table by themselves and uh, you know, they're, they're kind of like an outlier and people like picked on them and stuff like that. I didn't, but you know, it's just like, yeah. it's now so accepted to be artistic and to be be that way openly and put it out there for people to see when you know like in our generation when I was a kid there there was there was no way that a lot of the stuff well, that that's adults yeah yeah, that's yeah us because I was punished for that as a kid we yeah, got yeah. in trouble for drawing class I didn't do well in school uh, I did horribly actually I had I pulled out my high school diploma recently looking for some old tax documents and I was like passing with mostly D's except for like in my <laughs> electives which I had A's in and it's uh, I had always done bad I'd always been like C's and D's I've been skirting by and I draw in class all the time and no one saw that as ambitious no one saw that as a talent that I saw that as goofing off mm -hmm. but when you tell people that I work in animation, especially people who knew when I was younger, they're like, well, that makes sense. And you were always so talented. And I'm like, well, I didn't think I was. I mean, yeah. people said I was good at drawing, but nobody treated it as a valuable talent, like the kid who's good at writing or math or any any kids who excel in 
like actual classes in school. Now this this brings up a, a really um, interesting thing, and this this is one of the things I I like to do with this show, which does dig a little deeper. I feel like than um, on a lot of uh, other shows uh, that talk about animation. You mentioned your childhood growing up, um, and yours yours was a, a you know sort of. Um, uh, it was it was different than what probably a lot of people are used to being again a, a military kid How, mm -hmm. and and specifically being a military kid um and then the farm environment or the 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 ranch style environment um how how do you think that that sort of thing that kind of environment growing up fed into not only you as an artist but you as a humorist you as someone who specializes in comedy like what how do you how do you think that all of that like connects i think well, one, I think you kind of have to have a sense of humor to deal with some of that shit. Because, <laughs> um, first of all, I think a lot of the reason why I got into drawing and telling these stories and making these comics were mostly because I would tell these stories that, and make up these characters. And these characters were my friends because being a military kid is a lonely existence. And I was an only child. So you move from place to place if you make these friends you lose them immediately you move to a new place and all the kids have already had a best friend you never have a best friend because you're always the new yeah. kid that shows up and you kind of wiggle your way into some social group but it, what was my frustration is nobody had history with me no one went oh well april's been my best friend since kindergarten nobody had that it was i would show up and I was a friend for a while, and then I would move. So all of these stories and what was special to me about cartoons is all of these characters were my friends. Like, if I turned on the TV and watched SpongeBob, they were always the same. I knew their history. I remember when SpongeBob first started at the Krusty Krab, and it sounds sad, but it, it is like a human connection thing that we all grew up with these characters as they yeah. feel like our family and I friends. Think it's and beautiful. those were the stories I would tell, like in the comics that I told about all of these horses in this herd that were all like, there was infighting and drama and relationships and um, friendships. It, they were all like based off of toy horses that I had and they went everywhere with me and I knew them. And I think that that experience, um, really encouraged me to make up these stories but I was always my dad had a great sense of humor he was always really sarcastic and I didn't spend a ton of time with him as a kid because he would work a lot or he'd get deployed um he was in Iraq and Afghanistan he uh he was a navigator and flew um fighter jets uh f-14s which is what the um movie oh, top hell yeah yeah, yeah 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 the movie Top Gun is uh actually they filmed some of Top Gun uh at his old uh, o club and bass but no, that, awesome. that was what he did and um i i grew up with parents that were just like funny had a good sense of humor about things but i think if you live that lifestyle where you have a family member who is constantly putting their life at risk and when you're dealing with things like um i i make a lot of content with our horses and there's a lot of fucked up shit that happens with animals like if you have cows and you've ever or you've ever heard a family member say the cows got out and they're rampaging down the street and bulldozing <laughs> down uh your fences there's a couple of things you have to be comfortable with when you have livestock or farm animals one is swearing and two is humor <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah yeah
we uh we had we had goats and man they were angry ornery creatures oh goats are the worst um, i think they might be like the worst livestock to have to take care of because they are so ornery or guineas i don't like guineas uh I, I, guineas to me the only purpose they serve is to alert you when there's something there other than that like guineas used to my, my friend's grandma with the farm that we used to go hang out on uh the guineas would chase us. They would like attack us and chase us. And she had like <laughs> 40 guineas and they would just chase us all over the property. They were like guard dogs for the cows and everything. And they just would not, uh-huh. they just roamed the property like some wild, like cassowaries, just tearing everything up on the property. They were, they were nuts. Goats have a goats somewhere along the line hired a really prestigious PR firm though, because in the past, <laughs> in, in the past few years, everyone has decided that goats are adorable and I've had oh, to so tell people cows. Everyone, everyone wants like a little mini cow or something, and I'm just like, there are some cows that are evil incarnate. Oh, that you they can do not want anywhere near you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and go- goats in particular. Actually, our our girl goat was really sweet, and and I treated her like a pet, and she was really nice. Mm-hmm. And when she had baby goats, it was, I was there, and it was all cute and everything like that. But man, our boy goat was a dick yeah <laughs> and maybe maybe i'm prejudiced against goats now but that was my experience with goats. Um, <laughs> well so the, the goat community is the goat community is going to be in uproar therapy yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> as we say the goat community is going to be in an uproar your your twitter oh, feed is going to be wait, blown wait. up with the goat community now <laughs> no they're not anyone who has farm animals like uh, you could say the same about horses if you could say the yeah. horse community will be in an uproar if you talk shit about horses nobody mm-hmm. know like nobody hates these animals more than the ones taking care of them. I'm sure the goat community is thrilled. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and again, the more like the smarter the animal, the more personality you you sort of come across. And my goodness, horses are some of the you know smartest creatures on the planet. You would um, think. <laughs> or, or not. <laughs> well, they, it's so funny. Is like so. I I work with and I train horses. I've used my horse on a set for TV commercials, and we've had questions with directors where they're like, "Can the horse do this?" And I have him trained for some things that work on all sets. That's it's called like at liberty work, which means he's not wearing a halter or anything, and he just responds to my commands: "Go here, go there, stop." back up and those are the basic ones that are like that's just you're in that's basic acting that gets you in on any set because that's also a safety huh. thing is like need horse to go point a to point b he listens he behaves that's good everything else is a bonus and they want to ask like can we have the horse do blank and i don't know what like non-horse people and these directors think like they write something in a script and i don't know if they <laughs> think of like oh yeah he already knows how to do that the answer is always like well he doesn't but give me two weeks and he will. And it's pretty impressive to see how quickly you can teach them something. Yeah. And sometimes they're simple tasks. Like I was reached out, they were doing like a reboot of Mr. Ed and they wanted a horse that could huh. talk. Huh. And my manager had one horse that could already do that, but he was, um, and I'm talking horse terms, but he was a paint horse. So it's, it's the one that has little splotches of color. Mr. Ed is a Palomino. That's the gold with, uh, white hair that's Mm. what my horse is and Mm. i said well if you're doing a reboot it has to be another palomino for mr ed i said i'll give me two weeks and i'll teach him how to talk and we did that (laughs) and got that job on set but it's incredible how fast they learn but it's also incredible how fucking stupid they are (laughs) and how often you find a horse like like they'll do something called casting themselves which is a horse will roll over and if just one foot touches a wall or fence they can't get back up like they can't 
roll they will not roll to the other side because once a huh. horse rolls over it's like a full 360 they roll on their back and they'll roll around in the dirt and then they'll flip over on the other side and stand up when they are blocked they can't flip from the other side they will lay there like like a dead turtle legs up in the air oh. and what you have to do is tie ropes around their legs in the air and you and if you have another person, thank God, but sometimes it's just you have to pull as hard as you can to pull their legs wow. over so they roll back the other way. Because oh, they wow. will just they'll turtle themselves and yeah. some will start thrashing and freaking out. I'm lucky that my horse doesn't. He just kind of lays there helpless and waits for me to come help him. But there's so many stupid things with like the God made horses to fail. Like they, I'm surprised <laughs> society was built on them. I'm society, like we like won the West on them. We built like right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. amazing buildings, pulling carts with horses. And th this is how we have modern society now and it is phenomenal that we got there with them how they're programmed <laughs> yeah it's funny you they, mentioned they probably, uh, I was they gonna probably say, get a lot of mileage just out of being attractive too you know they're a good looking animal yes. yeah they so are they, they're very they like probably, majestic they probably get a wide berth for that yeah they're very majestic yeah, yeah it's funny you mentioned mr ed i just started a rewatch of uh, the old show so i thought it was funny that you mentioned that uh, oh, so, wow. uh, yeah, I like to watch old stuff. I watch, uh, I, I started watching, uh, Mr. Ed and then I'm watching an old cartoon. I don't know if you've ever heard of it called Brave Star. I don't know if oh, you're yeah. familiar. I know you're familiar with it, but I'm not sure if you're familiar with the pinky. It's, uh, no. the, pr the premise of the show is, is it's a, a, a planet that has been repopulated somewhere else. It's like a science fiction type deal, but uh -huh. it's called new Texas. And the the protagonist is like this guy named Tex and he's like real, you know, Texan and he's like a space sheriff. And yeah. I thought since you're since you like horses and stuff, I think that I think that you would appreciate cool. his sidekick because his sidekick is like a robotic horse named 3030. And <laughs> the voice for 3030 is an old uh, actor from the 60s that played in all those spaghetti westerns. So he's got yeah, like this cool. really super spaghetti western accent on the horse. It's just a really, really good one. It's actually That's worth awesome. watching, I think. I'm I'm inclined I could be getting this wrong, but I feel like that was an old filmation cartoon. No, it was Hanna Barbera. Was it Hanna Barbera? Oh, yes, yeah, a Hanna Barbera cartoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's actually a good one. So it was from that era of just like when they were just pumping them out left and right. That one is yeah. actually decent. Like it's actually not that bad story wise and stuff. It kind of it actually has like a story that you can follow instead of just random episodes. Well, maybe I'll get into that and go back to Warner and uh, pitch a reboot for that. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do that. That'd be awesome. Now, are, are you are you presently working in the studio or are you do you work remotely? I'm 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 in Colorado uh, right now. So I, I've been work from home for the past three years. When the pandemic hit, I never went back into the studio. Actually, nice. like a year later, I went and I cleared off all my stuff and I was sad. But at the end of the day, uh, my life is so much better being work from home. I have a lot more freedom. I set my own hours. Uh, yeah. It's easier. My lifestyle. I was it. It was a difficult thing to balance, like horses and being in the studio and working. And it's nice to be able to get like natural sunlight and not be blasted with like 50 degree air conditioning all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so it's uh, it was hard. Like when the pandemic hit, it was really different. It, it changed the social climate. I was used to always having these fun conversations with coworkers, popping by, seeing what's on everyone's Cintiqs. But I truly think this is the way to go with animation. I feel like I, I talked to one of the executives at Nickelodeon about this recently um, in a Zoom call. And I told her, um, I love 
the parties. Like I like going to the studio parties and mingling with everyone and doing screenings, but there's not really that big of a need to have that everyone all in one place all the time because actually yeah. it's a little bit more distracting and we don't get our work done. We all end up talking for two hours by the coffee yeah. machine. So, yeah, no, that's that's absolutely true. And and again, I I, I hate to well, no, I don't. Storyboarding is is so um, it, it's draining in every possible uh, capacity. Yeah. I mean, because you are flexing so many different muscles. You're flexing muscles as an artist, as a storyteller, yeah. as an actor, as as all these different things. That that it's it's draining. It's emotionally. It's artistically. Mm -hmm. It's it's even physically. Um, oh draining. yeah. I don't blame you in the slightest and and i've found the same thing i now live in north carolina and um you know any any time and you can tell me if i'm wrong about this uh pinky but i mean when when you are boarding you're making the cartoon and yes. any anything you have in your corner that helps you out even if it's just this much it's helpful mm -hmm. it makes a big difference yeah, and that quality of life really helped because I was also long distance with my girlfriend and I would fly to Colorado constantly from LA and go back and forth and back and forth. And I'd have to have um, another trainer friend get my horse out. And then I was taking, now I can, I, I take like TV gigs with him on weekdays instead of just weekends. And that's opened up like a other side of my life that I just started doing for fun right. on the side. I was already working with horses, but then now it's like, it's turned into a second job and both are gratifying in different ways because being on set and live action um, is a whole different hands-on experience of being a part of the making of it. Like, uh, I prefer doing commercials because you show up and you start filming and then you finish and it's done. Like the whole thing's done and it's going to air very yeah. soon. It's just a day of work and it's mm -hmm. all, it's all done. So it's, that's gratifying as, uh, someone who works in animation where you yeah. spend weeks and weeks and then you don't see it for another couple of years. So both things kind of that and you're being outside and you're it's way more social both things kind of um exercise something else for me where uh in storyboarding i have sorry i keep getting um no nah, you're good calls. it's all good it happens uh, um storyboarding i have more control over it. and you're right you are making the thing if you look at my I, that's why i post side by side videos on my social media of here's the aired episode and here's my storyboards and you can see how they look pretty much exactly the same. Uh, I tell people this all the time. Like you start at the beginning of the week and you have yeah, totally. like a blank panel. And every time I'm like, I don't know, that's crazy. That's uh, whatever. I'm just going to get through this week. And at the end of the week, you play it back and you're like, holy fucking shit. I just made a cartoon. <laughs> like when you look back at it, like you get so into it. Like, yeah. This, yeah. This, close this and doing all this and you're focusing on the technical. And when you look back at it, you're like, Oh my God, I make cartoons. It's insane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, now see now, and this, this interests me a lot too. I'm, I'm curious to know because you've now been storyboarding for eight, what, eight years. Are we on now? What, and, yeah, and I, you've I, clearly, I'm not good at <laughs> what, what for you is still difficult about storyboarding? Um, after, 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 <laughs> <laughs> Because by by the looks of it, you know the acting and the posing and stuff is very second nature to you, or at least you make it look easy. But what for you is still a challenge when it comes to storyboarding? Um, uh, one is the starting. I I mentioned that when you have the blank 
panels and you're just staring at it, uh, I feel like the easiest thing to do is old school, just thumbnailing and trying to get that out. Because once I've thumbnailed everything, I'm like, oh, I know how to do this. But when you're staring at the blank panels and you're looking at the script or like listening to the audio or whatever you have as materials, you're like, I don't know. I, I wish someone else would just make the cartoon happen. Mondays are always the worst. <laughs> a, you get your hand out. You're like, I don't want to make the cartoon happen. And then um, <laughs> my favorite part of the process is when you're actually like flowing and thinking of the ideas and you have really good jokes and you're like, oh, this is so funny. I can't wait to make this happen and show someone. But it's always the starting. And I've talked to other board artists about that. And I'm like, Monday's a throwaway day or whatever day you get your assignment. I'm like, that's the day where you yeah. look at it, think about it. And thank God, like at least work from home, you have more freedom to be like, just get up and do something else. Like once you've read it, you looked at the script, yeah. walk away from the desk because all you're going to do is just sit there and stare off into space, yeah. walk away yourself a sandwich, go do something else, go to the store, talk to a friend, do something. Because yep. the real life, uh, living in real life is where um, you get your ideas, where it'll start coming to you. Sitting at a desk is not... Like, even if you're just sitting there listening to music, watch a TV yeah. show, I tell like, get your assignment and fucking leave because nothing's going to happen there. Yeah. At least I have to get it and I have to leave because it's, I'm not going to make something on the first day. I have to accept that the first day is entirely yeah. this, as much as you think that I'll get everything done and then I'll have an open Friday and I can go have fun with my friends and family. No, you're yeah. not doing on Monday. Monday's useless. Just look at yeah. your material. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's funny because when I got made storyboard supervisor on the Fairly Odd Parents, and and by that time when it came to Nickelodeon, I could just sort of write my own ticket. But they would they would get my bosses would get furious at me because I would get handed a new assignment and for the first two days for me, I would just pace the studio. Or I would pace yeah. around on the roof of the building. Yeah. I would just pace and pace and pace so that I would I would have the entire cartoon up in my head so that by the time I sat down, I was ready to go. But I would yeah. I would pace and I wouldn't put my desk and they'd be like, why aren't you at your desk? And they would scream and holler and I'd be like, look, you love my work, right? And they're like, yes. I'm like, if this is what I need to do in order to produce yeah. what I produce, why do you care? And that's why I, I agree <laughs> yeah. with you. I think the way that animation is going in this regard, it's a good thing. Yeah, I don't know which of the nine old men said this. I'm going to, like, wrongly credit the wrong guy. Like, Mitt Call or Warm Ward Kimball or whoever said this. But there was one of the nine old men who absolutely hated when artists listened to music at their desks. Like, <laughs> absolutely hated. Like, you just have to be, if you're going to animate, you got to be in dead silence. And I'm like, okay, well, if you're a psychopath, that's fine. But everybody <laughs> else to do their own thing. Because that's <laughs> insane. Just sit down in dead silence and just work. But I, I, I'm the same way. It's like, I'm, I'm up and gone as soon as you've given me the assignment. And I'm not playing hooky. Uh, it, it needs to happen. And I tell people this all the time. I'm like, what's more effective for you as a human being you just sitting at yep. your desk staring off into space with blank stuff in front of you or you go make yourself lunch and go for a walk and take that time to do something else because it's still not going anywhere you could sit there all day and then all yeah. of what's going to happen is you're just going to get frustrated with yourself and then you're not going to have anything good come of it you're just going to on your first day of your assignment you're going to be frustrated yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not productive. Well, that's 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 about all types of creativity because uh, it it's it's elemental. You've got to have the right, you know, the right 
pieces for the puzzle to all come together. Cause I, I like, I'm a writer. I like to do creative writing and stuff like that. <laughs> so when I'm writing something or even a poem or whatever it is that I'm writing, uh, it just doesn't come to you. You know what I mean? It's like people think that because you are a creative person that you could just boom and automatically just throw something on a piece of paper and it's good to yeah. go. But there's, there's an actual process. Anyone's yeah. supposed to do that. Like, I don't know anyone in the world where you're like, here's the idea, make it. And then they just sit down, like, sure. Like, if you hand me the assignment, yeah. Like, yeah. storyboard this. I don't know anyone who could just be like, okay, and just start storyboarding. It's so well, strange. For, for, for decades and decades and decades, that was the, that assembly line process, that was kind of the only way to do it. Yeah. But, mm -hmm. you know, now, oh my goodness, we live in a time and a place where it's not necessary anymore. So I'm kind of, I'm surprised that there's any pushback at this whatsoever. Like when yeah. I was a director, my whole thing, well, and I guess I still am, when when I'm directing people, as long as whatever they turn in is fantastic and by the deadline, I don't care what they do to get their inspiration, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing is, is like, like, like creativity is just not, it's not a one size fits all approach. A lot of jobs, yeah. it like when you're, you're right. thinking of like, like, like an executive that, you know, their numbers, their paperwork, their this, creativity is not that. It's not sitting at a desk. It's not having a bunch of stacked papers in right. front of you. And that's not what yeah. it is. You have to, you have to go and experience stuff to have like some kind of type of creative inspiration. And I, I, I think that's one of the, like the disconnects. That's kind of like what's going on in the industry right now with like some of the writing stuff that's going on is, is, mm -hmm. is they don't understand that a, this creative process is, uh, without it, you don't have like authenticity. You could chat GPT your heart out, but without it, you don't have the authenticity. And that's one of the things that kind of like disheartened me recently with the Marvel show using the AI sequencing in yeah. their, their deal. And I'm like, well, that's a slippery slope. You want something weird. Yeah. I know thousands of artists I've seen on Twitter that could draw you some yeah. weird stuff. Like you don't have to use an AI generator to get authenticity in your weird stuff. Matter of fact, it's uncomfortable when I see AI in the only AI that I've seen that's been commercially used that I thought was like topical and maybe what okay to use was there's a recent video game that was done by the Rick and Morty creators, uh, high on life or something like that. I think it's called. And they used some CG, they used some of the uh, AI to make movie posters in uh, on a background that was like the background is human drawn, but it was just like just the movie poster that they used uh -huh. for AI. So like I could see the adaptation of it being used, but it is so scary to see that a major company is writing contracts with an AI firm. You know what I mean? I think that's that's definitely well, the, the, sketch. The bottom the bottom line is though, I mean, I, I have yet to see anything by AI that has even come close to being. Uh, anything weirder or more demented than the average animator's sketchbook. Yeah. <laughs> you take a peek into any animator's sketchbook and you will see stuff that. But anyway, um, getting back to you now, now Pinky, I'm interested to know, like you, you've been in the industry for eight years, you know, what are, what are your aspirations? I would like to get a show sold. I, I do have a, like a complete, bible and a pitch now's not a great time to sell but that that would be my next journey is i'd like to sell something um i'm currently interested in like dabbling around with doing takes on pre-existing ip for studios but at, at the end i would like to sell my own idea i don't know if um if and when 
will be a good market for that because right now it really isn't and we're already going through our struggles with uh you know the writer's strike and we have to have some big change and revolution to streaming and how television is but i everything goes up and down it goes in trends i have a feeling that we're gonna we'll be on the horizon once we get out of that mess that everybody's gonna be hungry for new creator driven shows and ideas that's yeah. where i'd like to be that's uh, for the time being i'm just happy to have work and <laughs> while everything's difficult right now that's one of the things that I, I really like about the new animation studio that uh, mike judge and uh, greg daniels have put together is the amount of new stuff that they're putting out in the world uh i really uh i really think we're on the precipice of like this big renaissance for animation i think we're like right on the cusp of a big yeah. wave and, and like f my fingers You're are crossed right. too yeah my fingers yeah. are crossed too because uh I'm, I'm i'm a huge fan of animation a big fan i have spongebob at home on vhs tape i have <laughs> you know i have so much you know uh history with animation outside of uh you know what you guys do and that's why i started this kind of stuff is just uh it, it's to show people uh, a greater appreciation for the stuff that they consume. Because I think a lot of people, we consume things, whether it's cartoons or yeah. books or coffee even, you know, whatever it is that we're consuming, we're, we're detached from it. You know, we're just viewing yeah. it in the, in, in, from, from this lens. And that's why I like being able to talk to you. And I appreciate you for coming on. We're going to wrap it up. But I appreciate you for, for, for being a part of our show and stuff like that and, and taking the time to uh, uh, help us out. Because, you, you know, you're doing me a favor by being here. I'm not doing you any favors uh by, by you being a part of our show. So, so again, uh, I appreciate your time and everything. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate your perspective and view because that's what it's about. It's about animation conversations and getting perspectives uh, from, from, you know, from you guys and, and what you guys actually do and giving you guys a spotlight because the, there's just too much underappreciation, I think, for, 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 for the craft of animating because everybody well, watches if can, it. If I can piggyback on what you just said, yeah. too, because I, because I know we're wrapping up here, but, like, yeah. you know, it's, it's funny. TV – um, executives would sit around and uh, live action TV executives would sit around. They'd go to comedy clubs. They'd go, Ooh, look at Jerry Seinfeld. He's super funny. Uh -huh. let's, give him, let's give him a TV show. Were I an animation executive, it would be a no brainer to look at Pinky's work and go, I, I don't care what Pinky has. Uh, we're doing a show created by Pinky because everything yeah. you do is funny everything you do has life. And so it's, it's just, it's kind of a no brainer. And it's my hope that that's kind of the direction that uh, things are going to go in. But uh, yeah, uh, sure. like I said, if, if it were up to me, I would just be like, give me a show and we'll put it on because I know it's going to be great because that's, that's the quality of your work. And, and by the way, I pat myself on the back for being, this is awesome. I don't have to do anything. Pinky's just going to hand me gold. So uh, I, I want to echo uh, what Rusty said. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been uh, it's been really enlightening, and your story is super interesting. Yeah, for I'm sure. sure. I'm sure there's a million things that we didn't even get into, and so I'd love to have you. I think we'd both love to have you yeah. on the show again. Yeah, open invitation. Yeah. Anytime you want to come talk about something or if you have something to promote or yeah. something like that and you want to come promote it. Uh, also, uh, if you ever get that King of the Hill job, would love to talk to you about King of the Hill. If that ever, if that ever comes to fruition for you, let me know. I'd love that, to. That uh, ship might have sailed. I, uh, uh, so we were talking before the podcast and i did have an offer to go on with them but then the strike happened yeah. so that that might be gone but i'm uh, definitely open to new opportunities like i said my um i'm starting on something new soon that i'm going to be uh boarding the pilot for but i'm pretty open for whatever comes along because i would like to eventually sell my own thing but for the time being i i'm just going to 
keep working and trying to stay afloat while we settle this mess with streaming. No, see, wait, I, I'm really sorry. I hate to, I, I don't mean to take up everyone's time again. No, but you're I, good. Have, you're I good. have to ask real quick. Have you ever boarded a pilot before? No, this will be my first. I, I've made my, my living for the past 15 years practically doing nothing but boarding pilots. You're going to love uh -huh. it. You're going to love okay. it because you get to create the language of the show. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really excited for it. That it's a big deal to me. I'm excited to consume I, I did, it. Yeah, I'm I excited boarded, to consume it. I boarded half of the the pilot for Rick and Morty, and it's so funny for a show that's been on for so long now. Uh -huh. You can still look, and it's it's one of the few shows that I did the pilot for that you know actually made it on the air and became a success. Because that's the thing about pilots: you do a million of them, and one of them gets on the air. Yeah, but I mean, I can still turn on Rick and Morty and be like, oh, that's like that because I did it that way in the first yeah, one. Yeah, you set so, the tone. Yeah, yeah, no, you're going to have a blast. Boarding Pilots is awesome. I'm excited. I hope this one comes to success like Rick and Morty did. Yeah, that's uh, that's what I, I brag all the time that I get to talk to the guy who set the tone for the whole show. So that that's one of my uh, that's one of my little brag things. I walk around because a lot of my <laughs> a lot of my friends like Rick and Morty, and when I told them that uh, uh, I, I now kind of like work on a show with the guy who storyboarded the very very first episode that everybody gets to see. Uh, I don't know. Like I said, this is uh, for me doing this 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 whole podcast stuff. Uh, I don't know. It, it's nuts to me that it only took me like a year and a half to get to a point where I get to talk to people who create stuff that I love to watch. It's just, I don't we know, it's awesome. We are way more readily available. Like uh, animation is such a niche community yeah. that the superstars in animation are still just hidden gem people to the rest of the world. Like people yeah. I think are huge like I'm a huge fan of to the rest of the world they're pretty much nobodies. The, yeah. the Absolutely. to me in my field are just like yeah. I mean what's cool about how humbling that is is the people who created these things that are so much bigger than them that we all yeah. love yeah. and adore are just like just some guy that you could just message on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. yeah for sure. And that's <laughs> what happened with Ed. Because yeah. you know you say the name Vince Waller and yeah. and the average person doesn't know who that is but I'm like Vince Waller like I'm I, I I'm acquainted with him yeah. and he's yeah. like Vince Waller rubber nipple salesman my god you know yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and that's that's another reason it's been great it's been great talking to you pinky because there there is nothing it's been a while since i've heard another storyboard artist talk about storyboarding and it, it's it's one of those things that's uh always enriching yeah it was it's well, I'm always to come on and and talk about how painful it is <laughs> yeah well, war stories <laughs> yeah you have yes. a uh you have a wide open invitation for sure yeah yeah we appreciate you being on and uh do you have anything you want to plug promote anything that you're creating that's uh accessible to people on social media or anything like that unfortunately right now i don't have a ton that is coming out and what i'm about to work on is entirely hush, secret hush. but well, whenever you can uh, talk about always... it let me know and we'll have you on and you could talk about that that would be great yeah but i have i mean my social media pinky tunes i'm also on social media doing horse things at ye hollywood my only thing out right now that isn't like a spongebob property or nda is my horse is in a high noon commercial so look out for that on tv and just awesome. know that that's Jeepers, and that's our work but besides that just my social media yeah go check her out that's pinky tunes i'll uh i'll link all that stuff in the bio i'll link your website and stuff too awesome. uh, uh her website uh, uh uh has a ton of ton of stuff on there for 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 everybody that wants to go check it out uh again i appreciate you being on and uh f do you have anything before we uh sign off 
Uh, yeah, well, as always, please, everyone, go to Fountains Pen Cartoons on YouTube. Uh, like, share, and subscribe. We are quickly becoming a, an incubator program for a lot of the uh, undiscovered talent that uh, we were talking about with Pinky earlier. People who, um, you know, are just trying to build up their portfolios. We've we've created a, a venue for them to do exactly that. So um, that's awesome. You know, yeah, please, please go to. I'm excited for you to see what we're doing because <laughs> trust you know, me, I'm as, as an industry expert. You, you guys are, you guys are both gonna love what we're doing. And again, it's uh, Fountains Pen Cartoons on YouTube. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm really easy to find. So, um, yep, there you go. That's thank, uh, thank you again for coming on. I'm gonna yeah. let Rusty yep. wrap us up, but for now, uh, I'm F Zigga Zigga Party people. Yeah, so uh, thanks again, uh, Pinky, for being on. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time out of your uh, your busy schedule to come hang out with us, me and F here. Uh, and uh, everybody, thank you all for tuning in. That has been another uh, titillating episode of Animation Conversation. And that brings us to the end of another incredible episode of Animation Conversation. We hope you enjoyed this animated adventure as much as we did. Remember, if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes, we would love to hear from you. Feel free to reach out to us on our social media channels or through good old-fashioned email. We value your input and want to make Animation Conversation a podcast that resonates with animation lovers like you. Our Instagram and Twitter are at Animation Convo. Our YouTube is at Animation Conversation. Our email is theanimationconvo at gmail.com. Before we say our final goodbyes, we want to remind you to stay animated. Keep exploring, appreciating, and sharing the magic of animation with others. Let your imagination soar and let the world of animated wonders continue to inspire and captivate you. Thank you once again for joining us on this incredible journey. Until next time, this is Wubcake, signing off for Animation Conversation. Keep watching, keep dreaming, and keep the animation conversation alive. This has been a Rogue Media Network 